0: Than I'm than
1: that now. Hi everybody, I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer and welcome back to Growing Bolder, an hour of good news that can change your life if you let it. Coming up on today's show, America's favorite TV mom, plus sister Madonna Booter, the internationally known world record holding
2: none on the run. We'll also meet the winner of an amazing 18 Grammys who I bet you've never even heard of. Plus, someone who's done more to end senior hunger than anyone alive. And boy, she's just getting started, too. And you'll meet the former FBI agent who claims she saw something incredible and inspirational when she arrived at the crash site of Flight 93 on 9-11. That's what we call Growing Bolder. The following interview was recorded before the passing of our guest. Here's the story
0: of a lovely lady Who was bringing up three very lovely girls All of them had hair of gold Like their
3: mother, the youngest one.
2: She is a true television icon, a multi-talented actress, talk show host, author, recording artist, Broadway veteran, but you probably know her best as America's favorite TV mom, Carol Brady, and the star of the classic TV series, The Brady Bunch. And now she's the
1: host of an interesting new series on RLTV called Who's Cooking with Florence Henderson. Let's welcome... Florence Henderson. Hey, Florence, how are you?
4: I'm good. Hi, Mark. Hi, Bill. I'm so excited to be with you.
1: Oh, you're kind to say that. Do you ever get sick of that Brady uh, theme (laughs) song chasing you around the world?
4: (laughs) You know, it's so funny because a friend of mine, a comic, he was doing his show, and he said, I would like to ask all of you in the audience to join me in singing our national anthem. So he started out, you know, say, can you see? And people started, and then they started dropping out cause they didn't know the words and so he said, "Well, let's let's try this song." And he started with the Brady Bunch oh, theme song my. and everybody knew every lyric. So that's
1: our new national anthem. Man, you you, you know, that is both interesting, amusing, and frightening all at the same time. I know, (laughs) isn't it? It's scary. (laughs) Hey, are you ever going to slow down? I mean, there is no shortage of cooking shows out there, but this really is a clever concept. you got some great celebrity guests who have a passion for food, uh, and, and that's really where your show gets interesting. Tell us about the twist on this new show. What happens?
4: Well, it's great. You know, we have celebrities, uh, a lot of my friends like R.J. Wagner and Friend Rusher and Marie Osmond and Joe Montaigne, uh, people of that caliber who came on, and uh, most of them very good cooks. I help them in the kitchen, and then I have an adorable real chef, Govan Armstrong, who takes the the recipe and makes it a little healthier or adds, you know, a different twist to it. And uh, it, it's really so much fun, and uh, I'm very proud of it.
2: You know, Florence, I, I'm not real sure what it is about yet. I haven't really thought that much about it, but it doesn't matter whether you do a cooking show, a show, show about grooming dogs or whatever. People will love it because we love you. You are one of the most likable people ever on television. And, and do you think there's something about food, though, that just brings everybody together?
3: Absolutely.
4: You know, uh, I think food represents family you know it always brings wonderful memories uh, and by the way i love the name of your of your show because you know growing bolder uh i think you know about growing older
2: mm-hmm.
4: and uh you know I, I no one can help getting older but none of us have to get old
1: Amen, Florence Henderson. And since you brought it up, let me take the opportunity to tell you we've got a TV show that was on 500 stations in 171 markets on public broadcasting, and we're launching a daily. 30-minute Growing Bolder TV show in the next 90 days, and and RLTV uh, is one of the groups we're going to be talking to, so maybe we'll even find ourselves sharing some airtime with you one of these days.
4: You know, that would be fantastic, and I think it's a great
1: idea. It'd be a great synergy. Thanks so much. Uh, You know, this is your second show on RLTV. I know. Are you enjoying your career as much in your late 70s as you actually did back in the 70s?
4: You know what? I love what I do. I just look forward to... Uh, the very next uh, challenge, and uh, I love the business, I think, more today than I did back then, and uh, I don't know. I think when you find something in life that you're fairly good at, you love it, and you kind of stay with it, and all I ever wanted when I first got in a business was to to be in it for a long, long time, to have longevity at a pretty high level. I, you know, I never thought about being a superstar or any of that. I just wanted to work in a profession that I love so much for a long, long time, and I feel very blessed to have been able to do that.
2: Well, you sure picked a tough one, though, Florence. We have uh, we have people, we have household names come on this program all the time and talk about how difficult it is to get an audition, to get a show, to get somebody to listen to them, to get a guest spot, because there is such ageism on the air in Hollywood, in television, and in movies. But you're one of those people that really has done such a great job of carrying the flag that anything is possible in your career. As Mark said, you've never slowed down. Nobody thinks of you as old. Uh, what, what's the secret? How can we be more like that?
4: Well, I think the secret is, is flexibility. You know, the business is constantly changing. And, you know, a lot of actors and performers, they, they become very rigid in what they do. And I've always tried to, to grow as the business changes and grow with it. And you have to take risks. Uh, you have to have a lot of humility. Uh, and uh, you have to say yes a lot, and uh, and that's how you you kind of stay out there. But I, I really think being flexible, uh, being willing to make changes in how you do things, uh, really gives you that extra edge. And and you know, have enthusiasm, be positive, uh, uh, say yes. You know, I, I write out my goals. Uh, you know, I write I write them out longhand. I want this, I want that, and I do it at night before I go to sleep. And uh, it makes a difference.
1: Well, I I totally agree with your point about being flexible, but I think you're being too modest because, you know, I think your flexibility uh, in in a large part arises from uh, the depth of your talent. You know, you're good at anything, so you have the ability to be nimble and to go with the flow. And as you just mentioned, you like to say yes. I mean, uh, you're fearless. I mean, you said yes to dancing with the stars. That had to be frightening.
4: (laughs) Yeah, that was very frightening. And uh, you'll laugh, but I, I've just been doing a show in New York, and uh, when I was on Dancing with the Stars, I hurt my left foot. Uh, you know, I never stopped dancing. I just kept going on. But I uh, cracked a little bone in my left foot uh, in New York a couple of weeks ago, so I'm I'm sitting here with a big boot on my foot. Hmm. <laughs> but that didn't stop me.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and this may be getting even a little deeper than even we, we want to go in this conversation, but Mark and I talk all the time about the image of somebody over 50 or 60 as, uh-huh. as as and you know we will bring up the name of Betty White who we adore but you know the show she does kind of perpetuates the stereotype of the old person as the feeble uh, boy that you can say anything and get away with it because they're so old right. and, and and Florence you are so anti that you really are redefining what somebody who's, you know, j- just about 80 is all about. You're full of life, vibrant. Nobody sees age when they look at Florence Anderson.
4: You know, that's so funny when you say that number. I go, that's not me. <laughs> but but uh, I often ask an audience, I say, I do a lot of motivational speaking as well, and I go, you know, it's only a number. And if you didn't know how old you were, how old would you be? That's Think it. about that.
1: It's a great question. So
4: I never really think about. I think, I go by how I feel, and I feel so much younger than I did some. You know, some days in my twenties. I think as as you get older, you become wiser. Uh, I think you learn how to uh, pace yourself. Uh, the experience helps you. I think you learn how to rest in action. Uh, many things that that you can do. Uh, They just keep you going, you know, and I think energy begets energy.
1: Folks, we're in the midst of a delightful conversation with uh, Florence Henderson, America's favorite TV mom. But, you know, that's selling her short. She's much more than that. Uh, And, and, you know, Florence, you say that uh, you you don't think about age. And when you don't, most other people don't as well. And it certainly must work for you because I read somewhere that you get hit on all the time (laughs) by men decades younger than you. Is that true?
4: Yes, it is. It is. Do you like it? And I have a a website, uh flowhome.com, and uh I get some of the cutest emails on there from guys in their 30s and 40s and and they tell me I'm hot and uh, I answer every one of them by the way. And uh I get such a kick out of that.
2: Well, just for all those young guys who are out there listening, Florence and I did exchange a smooch, a big one, when I was really? interviewing her at Disney World a few years back. Oh, and, my uh, gosh. That is definitely a highlight in my career. And young guys, there's good reason to be after Florence Henderson. <laughs> Florence, do you do anything that? You, do you, I mean, are you one of those people? Do you work out like a fiend? Do you only eat, like, raw salmon on Tuesdays? And... No.
4: I do work out uh, with a trainer three times a week. And... uh You know, I I have stairs in my house. I'm up and down three flights of stairs, like, many times a day. I do um, try to watch what I eat, but uh, I'm not a fanatic by any means. Um, I recently discovered uh, the Nutribullet, and uh, that is a fantastic thing. I don't know if you have anything like that, a Vegematic or any of those things, but uh, I throw in... All kinds of fruit, spinach kale uh cucumbers, apple uh strawberries, blueberries, just a little bit of each, and uh water and 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 sometimes I add frozen yogurt uh whatever is at hand, and that thing in like two minutes uh whirls it around and you've got the best most nutritious drink
1: hmm.
4: so uh that's kind of fun to do.
1: That's great. Hey, uh, Florence, before we run out of time, you know, if, if people really understood the magic or the alchemy, if you will, that creates a hit TV show, they, they would all be that way. Uh, the Brady Bunch is one of those shows that just keeps getting more and more popular worldwide. Are you surprised by the extent of the interest in this show nearly 40 years later?
4: I really am. Uh, if you had told me in the beginning that 40 years later, this show would be Bigger than ever, you know. It's never been off the air in this country and like in 122 countries around the world. And I get fan mail from all over the world. Now, last year I've been getting so much from places like Poland and Russia, uh, India, and I think people think it's a, a new show in these countries. <laughs> and I don't know, there's something about that little show that gives people hope. And, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, in New York, I, this gentleman told me that his, his daughter was very being very snotty and, and sassy. She was watching all these cartoons. And then she started, like, being more polite and nicer, and he talked to his wife, and his wife said, oh, I got all the uh, Brady Bunch shows, and she's fallen in love with them. Mm. And it changed her behavior.
2: Well, Florence, you you do the same thing the show did. You're a national treasure, soon to be a very young 80, and not just a great actress, but also a great role model for anyone who wants to remain active and relevant. Florence Henderson, host of Who's Cooking with Florence Henderson on RLTV. Check your local listings, and thanks for a great visit. Till
0: the one day when the lady met Miss Trello, And they knew that it was much more than
1: Coming up, the Iron Nun, the oldest person, male or female, to ever finish the Ironman triathlon. This is Growing Boulder.
5: That's the way we became
0: the Brady Bunch.
4: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
2: The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio. Preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit GrowingBolder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Boulder. You know, a few years back on this program, we had Sister Madonna Booter on, and we have followed her incredible career ever since. Even though she did not even start competing until she was in her 50s, she has become the oldest person ever to finish the Ironman triathlon.
1: And she has gotten a lot of recognition for that. She's now an international superstar who, at the age of 82, encourages others to discover and then develop their God given gifts. In fact, We're such big fans, you're not going to be surprised to learn that when we heard she was in town, we ran right over to see what keeps her running, to learn how she became the most famous Iron Nun in the world, and hear her reflections on being just about a mile from finishing the Boston Marathon when the bombs exploded. Sister Madonna Booter isn't about to miss her morning run, even if it means sidestepping a few puddles best known as the iron nun sister booter is the oldest person ever male or female to finish an ironman triathlon she did it at age 82 swimming 2.4 miles biking 112 miles and running a marathon 26.2 miles all in 16 hours and 32 minutes
0: the next day people came up and started to congratulate me on my world record i said world record Oh, well, yeah, I guess if I'm the only woman that's done it, then I guess it has to be for the time being. But they said, and further, furthermore, that record's never going to be broken, but I don't believe that.
1: If she's not competing in triathlons, she's running marathons. She was nearing the end of the Boston Marathon when the bombs exploded.
0: I think I may have been maybe a mile and a half from the finish when all of a sudden stop. You cannot go to the finish line. And I was in an unknown neighborhood. I didn't know where to go. I asked a marshal, what's happened? And he said, two explosions. And I said, oh, okay. I mean, it's a horrendous thing. I don't think I'll I'll ever forget it. (laughs)
1: Sister Madonna entered the convent at age 23, but didn't begin running until 48, when Father John told her it would be good for her mind, body, and spirit. She was 55 when she completed her first Iron Man and discovered her ministry.
0: To change the world that you are in, give to the world what you have, and serve the world with who, what you are, with who you are. Now if that doesn't say, pure and simple, what we're here for, I don't know what does.
1: Sister Madonna trains and competes religiously, which in her case doesn't mean regularly, it means gratefully. She runs to glorify her gift and to encourage others to discover their higher purpose.
0: I think initially it means digging deep to learn yourself, to learn who you are and what you can do. and. We're all given different talents, different skills, and we can't use them until we discover them. So once you have discovered them, you're obligated to use those talents and skills for the greater good of your creator.
1: How much has it changed, sister, from when you first started? Because when you first started, old ladies forgive the term, didn't run. I'm guessing that every year you see more and more and more people of age that are out there doing these runs.
0: Now, the 60 to 65 age group, even in the Iron Man, is well-filled by
1: women. And she's giving them all something to shoot for as they continue to age up. Sister Madonna is personally responsible for the sport adding three new age groups and setting records where there were none, a powerful role model for active aging.
0: That's the phrase I hear all the time now. I want to be like you when I get older.
1: And I'm thinking,
0: well, you can't stop getting old, so don't fret it. Just keep doing it as long as your
1: body will allow you to. And that's exactly what this Nun on the Run plans on doing. It's a calling she never saw coming, a purpose she didn't discover until late in life.
0: And I think it's best not to think of your age, or then you get a little uh, disgruntled. (laughs) (laughs) So I try not to think of it.
1: She just keeps on keeping on. An incredible woman and someone else who is doing amazing things later in life. And as you heard, one of her keys to remaining active is that when it comes to age, She just simply doesn't think about it. And, Bill, that's something we hear all the time from those we call the rock stars of
2: aging. Yeah, I don't know how she and and others like that do it because they're able to tune out the media and tune out our culture in general, which for the most part only spreads bad news about aging because we constantly hear not what's possible, but thanks to Sister Booter and others like her, we are learning exactly what is possible at this time in life.
1: Sister Madonna is representative of what many think is the best news of our time, better even than the many amazing technological advances that we've seen. The news that will ultimately have the most impact on human culture is the emergence of this brand new life stage and the endless opportunities, Bill, that it represents for
2: all of us. Oh, I know, Mark. Like you've said a million times, now we have a very real opportunity to live two, three, four, even five decades of active life after what's considered to be the normal retirement age. And that is incredible news for anyone of any age, because it means we have time to discover who we really are.
1: Yeah, more time to try and fail and try again, because we now know that life after 50 or 60 or 70, or in Sister Madonna's case, 80 and beyond, can in fact be the most rewarding,
2: most productive time of our lives. That's exactly what we hear from the people we interview all the time, men and women who are still living full, active lives into their 90s, even into their There are hundreds, and how long you can remain active is determined uh, to a big degree by your lifestyle choices.
1: Absolutely, and and the right lifestyle choices not only will keep your body healthy, they can keep your mind healthy as well. And with 10,000 Americans now turning 65 every day, folks, it's not surprising that baby boomers now fear memory loss more than cancer, heart disease, and
2: stroke. Now here's the good news. Research shows conclusively that lifestyle choices can delay. They can even uh, prevent the onset of Alzheimer's. So what are the most important choices you can make Exercise regularly, get plenty of sleep, maintain strong social content, and you'll see what happens. And as you age, folks, you
1: got to watch what you eat. Avoid processed foods and eat more fruits, vegetables, and foods that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids. Everybody agrees with that. High-quality fish, nuts, and seeds stimulate your mind by constantly learning new things and playing games, and you, too, can become a Sister Madonna booter. Coming up next the undisputed heavyweight champion of the polka. That's next on Growing
2: Boulder.. Support for Growing Boulder provided by The Center for Health and Well-being now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, Fitness and Medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at GrowingBoulder.com. Come on
1: and dance this poker!
2: Pull the car over right now. Get out, and everybody polka. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. Of course you're listening to Growing Boulder. and let me tell you a little something about our next guest. You've got a clue right there, but this man has won an incredible 18 Grammy Awards, and I bet you've never even heard of him, unless you're a fan of the polka, because our next guest is the undisputed King of Polka.
1: Amen brother Bill. Music royalty he is. Over the years he has shared the studio with the likes of Arlo Guthrie, Willie Nelson, the Oak Ridge Boys, Charlie Daniels and more. He's been on Saturday Night Live, PBS, CNN, ABC, CBS. He's had his own weekly TV show on RFD. He's the author of a new book called Polka King and did we mention 18 Grammys? Before we meet the king himself, let's polka up the music, the band
0: has
1: begun. Ladies and gentlemen, the Polka King himself, Jimmy Stir. Hey, Jimmy, how are you? Hey, guys, how are you? Uh, you know what? When I was writing that introduction, I actually thought there was a typo. I had to go back to Google to get confirmation. 18 Grammys. There have only been 24 Grammy Awards given for Best Polka Album. You've won... You've won... <laughs> well-
6: that's funny, you know it's it's funny. And and yes, that's true. But when they uh took away the polka category, they put me in the folk category and and I won in that category. So then they put me in regional roots and that's where I am now.
1: Uh, you've got more Grammys than Paul McCartney, Tony Bennett, Ray Charles, Leonard Bernstein, Beyonce, Natalie Cole. Uh, do you get frustrated that people don't understand the significance of Jimmy Stir?
6: Well, yeah, I do a little bit, you know. Uh, you, you know, I think uh, you know polka music. I think we take a little bit of a beating. Uh, you know, uh, people say, "Well, it's my grandmother did it, my mother, and father did it, or Lawrence Welk." We had to watch Lawrence Welk, but it's it's really it's not a it's not a fair statement. I mean, you know, we go to we play these festivals, uh, you know, just all over the country. We just got back uh, Saturday and Sunday. We we're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we probably had fourteen to fifteen thousand each day. And we get down, and I know you have a lot of listeners in Texas. We do the Worst Fest down in New Braunfels, Texas, every year. And on, like, the Saturday night, they'll get 18,000 people on a Saturday night.
2: Jimmy, did you say the Grammys no longer give out an award for the best polka album? What, what? No,
6: they, they haven't done that in probably about four or five years. They, they did away with it, placed me first in folk category. Then they took me out of that and put me in whatever it means, regional roots, category. And I'm not really sure what that means. So what's the,
2: I mean, is that an, that's kind of an insult. What, what's, what's wrong? Well,
6: yeah, you know what? You're probably right. And, and a lot of the people in the polka field, especially the musicians felt very bad. In fact, many of them never renewed, uh, you know, to go back into the, well, NARIS they call it, but into the Grammy awards and they just, you know, dropped their membership.
1: You know, Jimmy, you would know better than anybody because you're the guy that's drawing 15 and 20,000. I-, I sense that contrary to what most people think, polka music has actually become cool lately, and many young people now love it. Is that true?
6: Well, I'm not. you know, I-, I wish I could agree with you. In certain parts of the country, I would say probably yes. Uh, you know, a lot of rock bands, all of a sudden, they're starting to use accordions. You know, you never really saw that up until recent years. Uh, you know, our television show, our weekly television show, we have 1.6 million viewers. Uh, that's not too bad.
2: You know, as far as I know, uh, notes are notes, and your musicians are as good as anybody's musicians. Do you feel like you have kind of a, a stigma or even others, others in your industry looking over their shoulder at you? Well,
6: I think, I think the whole polka category, you know, the, the whole genre has a... Uh, a stigma over it. Uh, I'm lucky. All the guys in our band uh, are, are great musicians. You know, we go out on the road a lot. Uh, you mentioned before about we've got uh, actually four CDs and a fifth one coming out with Willie Nelson backing Willie Nelson. We used to be on the road a lot with Boots Randolph, uh, member Yackety Sax, yep. and of course the accordion player with Lawrence Wilk, Byron Florn. And these guys sit right down and just you know just sight read that music. Uh, so you know they're really good good musicians and they play jazz. And any of that, even rock music, equally as well. Uh, you, know, in, in the summer, we go out uh, with a guy who's the uh, uh, guitar player, lives in our hometown, and his name is Chris Caffrey from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And it's pretty cool with the, the guitar, rock guitar, and the three trumpets, and the, and the three or four saxophones, and it, it makes for a, a great rock uh, sound.
1: You're doing your best to keep, uh, keep the old gal relevant, aren't you, Jimmy? <laughs> hey,
6: yes, I am.
1: Hey, forgive our... Trying
6: our... You know, every year we get down, I'll tell you another big one, right down the road from you, every year they have to book us because the people request us so much at the, the annual Strawberry Festival. Oh, yeah, in Plant City. Right there in Plant City. Uh, and, and, you know, we do good there. We'll get, you know, our 5,000 people on a, on a Thursday. Uh, and they book us back every year
1: hey forgive our ignorance we were discussing quickly before you came on uh, the roots of polka is it uh is it german is it polish
6: well you know i don't think it, you know you hear is n- neither uh you know they they say it started in uh, bohemia uh, and then grew from there, whether it be you know, Poland or Germany or Austria or Switzerland. And we get over there, you know, once in a while, and perform in Europe, and they love polka music over there.
1: And you're credited with Americanizing polka. How have you done that? What did that involve?
6: Well, you know, growing up, uh, you know, I'm really 100% Irish, but I grew up and still live in a little village called Florida, New York. <laughs> And it's about 60 miles north of New York City. That's where I am right now. Uh, And everybody, and and we're known as the uh, onion capital of the country. We probably grow 30% of the nation's onions. Well, a lot of the people from Europe came to work on what we call the black dirt or the onion farms and, of course, brought their traditions with them, which, of course, one was their music. And that's how I got into the music, Uh, you know, uh, just listening to my high school dances at polka bands. Uh, the local radio station played polkas every day, and of course those three three day Polish weddings. That's how I got into the music, and of course at that time it was traditional. They sang, they sang the polka, you know, in in or German, uh, either Polish or German. And you know, I think it's sort of uh, you know the younger people never really took up learning how to speak Polish or German. And I thought, well, I've got to do something different. So I guess you know, I brought in the name, sort of Americanized it. A lot of the English vocals brought Willie Nelson, Mel Tillis, uh, Charlie Daniels, the Oak Ridge boys to sing with our band. And not that I want to be a country singer. I don't. It's, <laughs> those guys are actually, uh, you know, they're singing polka music. And they and, and one the, one thing about Willie Nelson, which is really cool, and I, and I had known about this and I thought if I ever get to meet him, I'm going to ask him if he would record with us. And sure enough, Back, uh, you know, a few 10 years ago, whatever it was, I had the opportunity to talk to Willie and I asked him, he said, I would love to do that. But very few people know Willie Nelson actually started back in Texas playing in a polka
2: band. And you know what we hear the most when we listen both to your music and when we listen to you talk, Jimmy? We hear your passion. We hear your love of life. We hear your fun. You're just wanting to have a good time. And that's why guys like Willie Nelson want to hang out with you. And that's why (laughs) secretly, Jimmy Sturr, all musicians, my friend, want to be you. Oh, my golly. You know well, I don't know about that but uh, we also want to mention uh, you know
6: I mean I I thank you very much for that kind comment and, but and Jimmy, uh, you know look and I just believe in that kind of music uh, you know again we I could say you know we play all types but I still enjoy that kind of music and and, and you know the the ones that com- complain about it or don't like that kind of music they're the exact ones that go to a wedding and they hear the wedding band play Beer barrel polka Pennsylvania polka, you know, you know those kind of those kind of polkas, and they, you know, they don't really have, you know, they just play them because somebody asked to play them. But you know, you get into some of these bands that that really play polka music. I mean, it, it's an incredible—they're incredible musicians.
2: I want to stop you for just a second because I want people to know they can go out and buy your incredible CDs. It'll lift their life that high, and you've got a great new book called The Polka King. We've been talking to the Polka King, the great Jimmy Stern.
1: up next, do you have any idea how many seniors are going to bed hungry every night? The answer will shock you. This is Growing Boulder.
4: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
2: Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures.
0: My guard stood hard when abstract threats.
2: I'm Bill Schaefer along with Mark Middleton. and This is Growing Bolder. Now, our next guest is responsible for bringing the issue of senior, senior hunger to the forefront of public discussion at a time when no one—I mean, nobody—was even discussing the issue, and she is still the number one advocate pushing it forward. Yes, yeah, this
1: is the kind of guest we love, folks, because she is truly growing bolder. She's the founder, president, and CEO of the National Foundation to End Senior Hunger, and before that, she spent about twenty. 20- years running the Meals on Wheels Association of America. And while there, she increased the organization's annual budget from less than $100,000 to over $15 million. Let's welcome Enid Borden. Hey, Enid, how are you?
3: I'm delighted to be joining both of you today.
1: Man, we are thrilled to have you. You know, Bill and I talk a lot about, you know, what's possible, the good part of this age wave that's rolling over America. But, you know, equally important, if not more so in many cases, are the challenges that it represents. And you refer to those that you serve as the hidden hungry. Give us an idea uh, of the, the, the depth of this problem. How many seniors go to bed hungry? How big a problem is it?
3: You know, we use numbers. And we bandy those about all the time, and that's great. And I can give you that number. And we, we suspect it's about 8.8 million. But, you know, having said that, uh, we don't know. That's a finite number. And I'm sure it's probably more than that. It is a problem that is hidden. It's been hidden in plain sight. And we believe, as I'm sure you guys do too, that it's about time we started spreading the word that this is something that is, in fact, solvable. We can end senior hunger, and we must.
2: So, Enid, I mean, you, you make it sound like you kind of have a plan. What can we do to end senior hunger?
3: The first thing we can do is to let everybody know that it exists. It's kind of an interesting idea, but people don't even realize that their next-door neighbor, who might be an elderly woman or man, may, in fact, have hunger issues. So the first thing we need to do is just examine the issue admit that it's there, and realize that there's something that every single one of us can do something about. We can end senior hunger in this country. You know, we're talking about an issue that has really never been on the front pages of our newspapers, but it ought to be. And what at least it ought to be is at least front of mind. And that's what we need to do. That's the first thing we need to do. Remember, examine it, explore it, and understand that it's there, that it exists, and that we can solve it.
1: You know, you are kind of, by extension, the the squeaky wheel here, because, you know, everybody in America's got problems and everybody's, you know, wanting help. But but the elderly, in really a large part, are very quiet. I mean, this could be America's dirty little secret. Uh, Old people are not going to, scream that they're hungry. They just, uh, in many cases, are isolated and, and deal with it.
3: You bet. And I'm glad that I'm being called a squeaky wheel. I've been called lots of things. I'll take that one. I, I think it's right. They are. They are most of the time hidden behind those closed doors. We don't see them like we see children. We don't see them oftentimes going uh, to soup kitchens, they are in fact hidden behind closed doors, and they're very proud. These are the people who raised us. These are the people who really made this country what it is today, and they're too proud in many instances to get what's coming to them. For example, SNAP, or what we used to call food stamps. Those folks, those seniors who are, in fact, eligible for SNAP benefits are not taking them for lots of different reasons, not the least of which is they feel too proud. These are the hungriest amongst us, and they are not getting some of the necessary things that they really need to end hunger. So that's one of the things we can do. We can talk to our neighbors and see if they need something, and is there anything that we can do to connect them to some of the services that are out there for them
2: interestingly you know this morning I was listening to an economist being interviewed right here on this radio station and he really painted a rosy picture about the next uh, couple years of economic recovery you know it looks good for housing it looks good for jobs and, and and the interviewer brought up you know seniors and he goes oh well it looks good for everybody but them uh, interest rates are going to stay low and that's a, that's a big part of income for, for a lot of seniors and and I get you're optimistic that this problem can be solved but other than just kind of keeping an eye on our neighbor how are, how are we going to get exposure for these folks.
3: Well, and, and I'm glad that he said that, because, in fact, that is the one cohort in the population that's not doing very well. And This economic recovery, such that it is, is really not having an impact on them at all. Look, when you're looking at, at a senior citizen, we're talking about somebody who's at the end of that life cycle, and even if the economy does get better they're not necessarily going to go back to work. We're talking about a population of people who are really, really, really at not, not at the end of life. I don't mean to imply that at all. In fact, our numbers indicate that those people between the ages of 60 and 64 are suffering really more significantly in terms of hunger than those at the other end, the 80 and above. So it's an interesting conundrum we find ourselves in. I'm optimistic. I'm always optimistic because if I were pessimistic, I couldn't get up and do my job. So yes, I'm optimistic, but I'm also looking at the fact that baby boomers are in a very precarious position right now, and we we need to really do everything we possibly can to ensure that these people get the services that they desperately need because the economy is having a terrible impact on them. And look, one of the things we need to look about are the difference between the word hungry and hunger. If you're hungry and I feed you today, then I have sated you. You are no longer hungry. But that didn't solve the issue of Hunger. Hunger is a long-term issue. It's a long-term relationship that we have, and we have got to figure out how do we end hunger. Not how do we solve hungry issues. Though There are wonderful programs out there, and I was affiliated with a program like that for 20, over 20 years, Meals on Wheels. Those programs are there in the communities, and they feed the hungry today. What we are trying to do is look at the longer-term issue, the issue of hunger. How do we find sustainable measures to ensure that we don't have hungry people tomorrow and next week and next month? We can feed people today. We can end their hungriness today, but we're not solving the notion of hunger. And that's what we're trying to do.
1: It is a big problem. And your website, the National Foundation to End Senior Hunger, right there on the front page in big quotes, two words, it's solvable. Your goal is to solve this issue and hunger uh, in the U.S. uh, for seniors by 2020. Can you do it?
3: Uh, I'm going to die trying. Yeah. I'm a senior myself. I started this when I was a young woman, and now I'm a senior myself. And I realize that if we don't do this for ourselves, uh, shame on us. yeah, I think we can do it. is the year 2020, that was the number we used at Meals on Wheels. Um, I'm not necessarily using that number anymore. I, it could be 2018. I don't know. Maybe I'm more optimistic. I do think we can solve it, and I think that we need to do it together. I invite people to come to our website and give us some ideas. You know, all of the ideas about how we end hunger don't reside in one place. It doesn't. They don't reside in one entity. We all have ideas. Come to our website. Write to us. Let us know what you think. It's www.nefesh.org. Send us your ideas. Tell us what you think we can do to end hunger. And you know what? Maybe we'll try it.
2: Hey, in our last 10 seconds, Enid, what can we do today? What can we do right now to start making a difference?
3: We can start making a difference today by going and volunteering. Go to a program. Go to some homeless shelter. Go to a a food bank. Go to a Meals on Wheels program. Go volunteer. Go see what it's like to walk a little mile in somebody else's shoes. Go help. Go make sure that your next-door neighbor, knock on the door of your next-door neighbor, and make sure that he or she is being fed, has enough food. If not, do something about it. That's the first step. Second step, come to our website. And have a dialogue. Begin a conversation with us. Let's talk about how do we end hunger.
2: It is solvable. Enid, you're amazing. The founder, president, and CEO of the National Foundation to End Senior Hunger. You heard the passion. Join the fight. That was Enid Borden.
1: Coming up next, it took her years to tell anyone about what she saw at the crash site of Flight 93 on 9/11.
2: This is Growing Boulder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingboulder.com/slash-subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at Growing Boulder.com slash podcasts.
0: LiveCard
1: hard when abstract.
2: This is Growing Bolder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and our next guest served for over 25 years as a law enforcement professional. She was a municipal police officer, a chief of police, and an FBI agent who worked the crash site of Flight 93. Remember that one in Pennsylvania on 9-11? Yeah, she spent 13
1: days at that crash site, and her experience there is the subject of her very provocative first book, In the Shadow of a Badge, a memoir about Flight 93, A Field of angels and My Spiritual Homecoming. Let's welcome the author, Lily Leonardi. Hey, Lily, how are you?
5: Hi, Mark and Bill. Fine. How are you? Great.
1: Hey, a fascinating tale. Uh, uh, and so let's jump right in because you were deployed, as Bill mentioned, by the FBI to the crash site in the immediate aftermath. Uh, how soon after Flight 93 went down did you get there?
5: Um, I would say probably within uh, three hours uh, time period, if that long, Uh, Once we knew what had transpired, um, the uh, Pittsburgh division, like most divisions, requested volunteers. So uh, probably the biggest holdup was like most big cities was uh, everyone was going home. They were evacuating the cities. And uh, so it uh, took a little bit more time to take up mobile command as a result.
2: Now, I know you're trained to handle very difficult situations. What were your impressions?
5: Well, on the way up, the gentleman that uh, was operating mobile command, I don't think we said two words to each other, uh, just the expectation, because prior to going to the FBI, joining the FBI, uh, I worked as a police officer, as you indicated, and I had an expectation, and the scene was nothing like that.
1: Uh, it was basically a hole in the ground from what we understand.
5: Well, uh, there it was a hole where the plane went down, but it was everything covered it was as if you know when you walk on sand and how your imprint and then how the water that was kind of what it looked like it it had gone down into the ground and like the top soil which exact was more sand like had filled in um so there was you knew the plane had gone down into the hole but it almost covered itself back up. That's why they had to do some excavation.
1: Right, you later saw, and, and you didn't reveal this for some time, but you later say that you saw that day, I, I believe, uh, what you described as, quote, a field full of angels. Did others see them or did just you? What were they doing? What did they look like?
5: Well, um, to, to my knowledge, there was only one other person that uh, reported that, that i I believe it was a police officer or ems but to this day um, he or she's not been willing to talk to me about it i've tried through the national park service to connect with the other individual uh... as far as the angels uh... what i first saw was um, uh... light uh... it was so bright even though my attention was drawn to the crash site and trying to pull in as much information as you could and then all of the feelings uh, and emotions that were taking place but the light got so strong it drew my attention to it completely and then within a matter of a few seconds maybe a minute it turned to like a white mist and then a few moments later uh... the mist cleared and there appeared to be hundreds and hundreds of angels I I say they were archangels. I was raised devout Catholic, and based on in what you were taught, I I thought they were archangels. They were very big because the bluff that we stood up on above the crash site is now where the forty trees have been planted to honor the the uh, the heroes of Flight 93, and they almost appeared to be equal in size. Um, The the wings were long. Uh, They looked female and male. There were so many that I couldn't see the back rows of the faces. Um, And they looked like they had what I would call Roman centurion garb on, Um, you know, the way uh, the legion. That's why I call them a legion of angels. That's what it looked like to me.
2: You know, some people will will say, "Well, you know, I, I I don't believe in angels," and other people will say, "Yes, I do." But let's talk about the. You, you also your, your book is about this spiritual awakening. What mm-hmm. what what is it that that the impact that being on this you know this emergency? What is the impact that it had on you? How did it hit you?
5: Well, I think for the first part, um, I stood there not only as a law enforcement professional, but also as a mom and a grandma, and wondering how many. Mothers weren't going to be able to speak to their children that night. And then again, with my background and the religion that I was raised, I kept asking God, you know, like everyone else probably that day, why and, and help help me be able to do. And working with the, the United Airlines Humanitarian Response and the other law enforcement professionals there, uh, it was an unbelievable time of unity. And then when the families came, you can imagine... Listening to every one of the stories of how hurt, and so I, I believe in those days, in more of my mother's heart responded versus uh, the law enforcement officer uh, wanting to do just like everyone else that worked at site, working in the best interest of those families. I think that was that was the priority at that point, and the as far as the awakening, um, I feel as um, for a long time, I didn't feel worthy of what I saw, and that's why I had uh, kept. And then, of course, working for the FBI, you can't knock on your boss's door and say, hey, I saw angels on the crash site, what do you think? Hmm. So it it was probably a combination of fear and uh, denial, and then also um, that question, again, that many of us ask why.
1: So what is the takeaway here, Lily, in our final 40 seconds here? Uh, how has this changed you? How do you want to change us uh, by the knowledge that you now have?
5: Well, I think the most important thing for me is that from my perspective is I'm not trying to, as you indicated before, who would believe and who won't. That That's choice. That's free will and choice. I feel that I was uh, given the opportunity to see that to bear witness so that anyone willing to be open to that there was a presence there that day. And I believe they were there because of not only the traumatic day to all of us, but for any of the souls that wanted to um, go to uh, with them. And I, I think it's just the biggest is healing, not only for myself, but others involved uh, uh, to, to find their path toward healing. Because I'm sure you know there's, the families will suffer for, for for the rest of their lives in their own way. And then the responders, there's been a great deal of suffering of those that work the sites, too. There's been many of us that have been afflicted with PTSD.
2: Yeah, what you were at was just unimaginable. And we appreciate you putting your thoughts and your feelings in this book. It's called In the Shadow of a Badge. And we've been talking about uh, this whole incident with Lily Lenardi. Thanks, Lily.
1: Wow. How about that, Mr. Schaefer, from the Iron Nun still setting world records and completing amazing endurance races in her 80s, to Jimmy Sturr and Florence Henderson still practicing their craft on their own terms, to Enid Borden devoting her life to making sure others don't go home hungry. Well, folks, we hope that they've helped motivate you even just a little to realize that it's never too late to follow your heart and chase your dream. Whatever it might be, you just have to simply stop growing older
2: and start Growing Bolder. Well, you hit that right on the head, Mark. Take some chances. Try new things. Meet some new people. Stop being afraid. And and of course, we're here to help because you can find Growing Bolder not only here on the radio, but also Growing Bolder TV, GrowingBolder.com, and Growing Bolder Magazine. If you haven't already, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and we'll keep you up to date on all things Growing Bolder.
4: Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to growing Boulder, it's not about age. It's about attitude.